Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I'm continuing last week's conversation with Trish White. I read her bio last week, so if you did not hear the first part of this interview, please go to last week's episode to listen to that before you come here. Before we get to that, Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is such an amazing community of women that you can talk to live online on a daily basis. When you join our group, you get unlimited live sessions, monthly, weekly, whatever you want. You can attend as many sessions as you want. Women are so supported there and so loved. And you can go to a session with every single one of our different coaches, see the different personalities and their different insights that they'll have for you. To learn more, go to btr.org and click on services and click on online daily support group and you can get more information there. During this time of being quarantined and being isolated, it's an amazing way to be with women who totally understand you immediately. You get to see their faces, you get to hear their voices, and you actually get to interact with them in very personal, vulnerable, real, authentic ways that you cannot find anywhere else. Um, sometimes in person, I have parties where I have sheroes come to my home. And some of you have seen that maybe on Facebook or whatever, where I'm like, hey, I'm having a party Friday night. If you're in the area, come on over. And it's amazing how women who have been through what we've been through, we can just immediately connect with each other and understand each other. And women I've never met come to my home and we're talking about the most personal details of our lives one minute. And then we're talking about, you know, burritos the next minute or how we like puzzles or whatever. And it's just this amazing way to really be yourself. And so even though we can't do in-person events right now, Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group is the online version of that. And I really encourage all of you to join if you haven't already. Okay, so now to continue my conversation with Trish. The cool thing about being committed to self-care is that it can be an experiment, right? Once I got on the antidepressant and I could kind of get off the couch, I could be like, you know what? When I sit on the couch, my neck hurts. And about three months ago, that couch that I would sit on, I moved it to a different area. And guess what I replaced it with? A treadmill. And that has made a big difference. But that has been an evolution. And now when I want to kind of relax, I walk on that treadmill rather than sit on the couch. But if we're committed to self-care and we're willing to be honest with ourselves and gentle with ourselves, we'll see what's working and what's not working. When I sat on that couch, I ended up gaining 30 pounds, which was not great for me physically or emotionally or mentally or anything. Do I feel bad about it? Not really. It's fine. So I started realizing this isn't really working for me, but it was a coping skill that I used. And unless your intention is self-care, then really, I don't think that evolution of what is going to really bring me peace and happiness is going to happen. I think the experimentation is okay. Am I making any sense? Yes. Am I getting to know myself? And I think that is the biggest gift of this journey. I have self-care broken down into four different aspects because there is self-soothing and then there is self-nurturing. And those are the two main ones. And self-soothing is what calms me down. What do I need at this moment? Because my system is activated. I'm not able to think or concentrate. What do I need at this moment to calm myself down? And really experimenting with yourself, and this is looking at your senses, finding two or three go-tos. 
that you just really know that when you're activated, when you're triggered. So often we want to get rid of the triggers, but the triggers are simply a sign that we need more self-care and attention and more healing. So then let it send you to what are ways I can calm myself down. So we have self-soothing and self-nurturing, and we'll get back to self-nurturing. It's kind of like the wings on your airplane. It's the things that balance you is self-compassion versus self-discipline. And it seems sometimes harsh to introduce self-discipline in because everything else seems cozy and warm. And when we say, think of self-discipline, we think of like a drill sergeant. But that's why it's balanced with self-compassion. When you're practicing self-care, there's tons of opportunity to practice your self-compassion. Yes, you want to eat a bag of Oreos. Self-discipline says, you know, I'm probably going to feel sick tomorrow if I do. So I'm, but I'm going to eat some. But the thing with self-discipline that I think, and it, it comes, it comes. I like what you're saying in that there's a progression. This doesn't all happen right at day one. Self-discipline is more about keeping our promises to ourselves. I know there are women that would never break a promise to anyone else. They will always keep their responsibilities. And yet we renege on our commitments to ourselves all the time. So if all I'm committing to today is to just get up out of bed and doing something for myself, putting some healthy food or something in myself, that's self-discipline. That at the end of the day, you can say, okay, I did it. And there's something that builds self-esteem in that when you keep your promises to yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah, your self-esteem is so fragile, right? When you're so traumatized. There is something to be said for that momentary comfort. And I think there's something to be said of if a whole entire bag of Oreos or whatever is helpful to you in that, go for it. Like you absolutely do it. And then as you get a little bit stronger, then you can add it in because guilt at this point or worrying about like anything other than just survival is just not going to help. Yeah. And so that whole self-compassion piece, and it's different than self-pity. Self-pity says, this is too hard for me. I can't handle it. And self-compassion says, yes, this is hard. And I'm going to look after you. I'll get you through this. Right? And being able to talk to ourselves with that more nurturing voice, I had to develop that. I had to learn that. And it's a learning curve to be able to get rid of that inner critic, because often that beats us up makes us feel guilty for everything. It's coming to me that I think the most important thing is the intention, right? It's being intentional about it. If you're going to say, you know, right, right now my alarms are going off and I know if I eat this or if I go do this thing or whatever it is you want to do, that this is going to help. I also know the consequences of this, but this is what I'm going to choose right now because my pain is too intense. I remember one day when I went into the closet and I just put a really, really soft blanket over my head and I just laid in the closet and just cried and cried and cried. But that was sort of this intentional choice. I think the intentionality is really the thing we're looking for at the beginning. Yeah. That whole just learning to have compassion for yourself and take care of yourself. That brings us to that last part, which is the self-nurturing. And the self-nurturing is like the rhythms of life. So, you know, when these crises happen, we are down to ground zero of what we are able to do. 
But if we think through what does a baby need to survive? They need predictable sleep, food at regular intervals, some sort of loving relationships, and they need some sort of movement or stimulation. And if we can just break down that last to the very, very basics so that you're just, you know, am I putting something in my body? Am I drinking some water? Am I making sure I'm doing what I can so I can sleep? That's the whole self-nurturing part. And that, I think, is where the growth takes place because it's pretty bare bones to begin with. But we can always up our self-nurture game for years. Yeah. So all together, I want you to repeat those four components and how they interact with each other. Okay, so self-soothing is what we do when we find ourselves triggered. We know we need to bring our system down. Quite often, it happens with trauma that our systems get stuck in overdrive. And so we need to find ways to slowly calm it down. And it takes time. So self-soothing, finding two or three things that calm and soothe you, heading to your senses for what works for you to calm yourself down. The self-nurturing, the rhythms of the day. Am I putting something good in my body? Am I making sure I'm looking after my sleep patterns? Do I have loving people I can connect with? And that's a hard one, but we always need safe people. That may even be a coach or a counselor if your family system is really broken down. Like betrayal trauma recovery group, like our online group, an option. Yeah. And holding on to your children. There you have self-soothing and self-nurture at the same time. There's nothing better than a baby fresh from the bath, right? Loving relationships, some sort of stimulation in the form of just like you would with a baby, some sort of getting outside or mental stimulation, watching something, doing something so that you moved out of just curling up and crying all the time. So self-nurture and those expand. So then down the road, you've decided you're now eating, you know, regular meals, but you recognize, well, I need to be eating more vegetables. So I'm going to start putting vegetables in my smoothie. You know, you can up your self-care game endlessly almost. So that's self-soothing, self-nurturing, and then balancing them out with self-compassion and self-discipline. Today, I need to get something done. So we're going on self-discipline, but when I start it, I'm in tears, can't do it. So then self-compassion says, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Just work at it for 15 minutes and then call it quits. (laughs) Right? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So at the beginning, I asked you for a really simple one. Like my suggestion was to go outside. Yours was to look out the window with a hot drink. That was a perfect one. I loved that. I want everyone to know that four years out, I'm doing yoga almost every day. I am back to weightlifting. I'm skiing again. I'm paddleboard. I I love, love outdoor sports. So I'm feeling more and more myself every day. So if you're listening and you're like, this seems impossible. I can't do this. I want to give you some hope that it might take a while, but four years out, five years out, 10 years out, two years out, whatever it is, that things will get better. I know when people told me that I wanted to, you know, shake them and be like, you don't know how bad it is. It's so bad. But now it feels good. Like life is really good. So let's go back to more of those just simple tips for women who are at the, you know, who are in intense trauma right now, because I'd say that's the bulk of our listeners. 
Why don't we leave the listeners with one more practical self-care tip that any woman, no matter what stage of trauma she's in, especially the women that are in intense trauma right now, could implement today? Safety is so important in the first while, right? Finding that safe place. And so one suggestion, we quite often end up being hooked to our phones. And so I recommend putting together a photo file of people you love, places you love. And if you love the beach, have beach pictures on there. If you're like me and half your world turns white and cold, I have pictures of summer so that I can remember that life does come back to this barren planet. (laughs) And put those in a file of places I've walked, beaches I've been on, and when I need to just give my brain a break, I head there and flip through. Scatter them with pictures of people, your children. Learn to just sit and focus on some of those and remind yourself that there are some good things. There are great places in the world. We will get back there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great tip. I just thought of one that I did that really helped a lot. And when I say this, most women gasp. They're like, you didn't. But I deleted all of my social media accounts. And I found that very helpful because... I wasn't like, okay, if I post this, what will he think? Will I think I'm doing well? Do I want to look like I'm doing well? Do I not want to look like I'm doing well? What do I, you know, I didn't have to have any of those conversations in my head. And that was part of my critical systems only phase. I thought that was really important to just focus on myself and how I was feeling in the moment and not worried about how other people were perceiving me or what type of um, image I was projecting to the world. And I highly recommend it if, if women can. And then I never, I never did it again. Like my Anne Blythe Facebook profile is the only one that I have. I don't have any more personal accounts on Twitter or Instagram or anything. I have the organization, the BTR stuff to run BTR, but I don't have any personal stuff. I've really, really loved that. I don't know if women want to do that. Anything that works for you is going to be the right thing. And also you can try something and then see, oh, this isn't working. And then you can try something else. It's not like any one of these tips or any one of these things needs to be this permanent installation that you then have to do every day for the rest of your life. That's right. My favorite one has been, it goes under discipline for me, of forcing myself to take 24 hours off every week. Truth is, this may be a little crude, but we're going to die with things left on our to-do list. And taking 24 hours off each week gets you practiced for that, that it can be left. The laundry can wait. Stuff can wait. I don't have to be busy all the time. And then just filling that day with things that I enjoy. Doesn't always work, but it's a goal. Well, thank you so much, Trish, for coming on today's episode and sharing your insights with us. This has been good. Thank you. If this podcast is helpful to you, we really appreciate your monthly support. Go to btr.org, scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. I appreciate every one of your comments on these episodes. If you want to comment or ask questions, I always respond to those on the podcast section of our website, which is btr.org. You can find this episode and comment on this particular episode and questions that you have or share your story there. I also appreciate your reviews on iTunes and other podcasting apps. I love reading those and appreciate those. So if you're so inclined, please leave a review. That helps isolated women find us. 
If you are listening and you have a desire to share your story or to come talk with me on the podcast, of course, it will be anonymous. Please email my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I at BTR.org. I absolutely love hearing your stories and love connecting with you and love sitting in the pain. That sounds kind of grotesque, but it's true. I just love being with my people. So if you are wanting to share or if you're ready for that part of your journey, please contact my assistant, Kari, again, K-A-R-I at BTR.org. Let us know and we'd be happy to have you on the podcast. Please continue to stay safe. My prayers are with you during this time. I know it's really hard, especially if you're still in the home with a man who is exhibiting emotionally and psychologically abusive behaviors, including sexual coercion. I know that it's difficult. My prayers are with you and know that you are not alone. And until next week, stay safe out there.